Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let everything that have breath praise ye the Lord. I'm in the right house this morning. Oh, man, it's so good to be back with you all. Always a privilege and pleasure to be with my second family. To be with my second family. For those who I haven't met, my name is Chaplain Carl Long. Uh, me and Pastor Walker are very good friends, and it's always a privilege and pleasure to stand behind this sacred desk to share the good news with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and Lord, you have work to do. Therefore, I pray that I decrease as you increase. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our minds and hearts. It is our desire to hear from you. It is our desire, Lord, that you shall restore hope in any area that we may be hopeless. We want to hear your word. But not only that, Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to live out the words that you share with your people. I pray for this pastor, this leader for this house, and all the leaders of this house, Lord, that you keep them. Keep them strong and vigilant that in these troublesome days we may continue to speak truth to power. We love you, Lord, and we trust your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray that the church say amen. amen. Let's go to work. Open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 23. Psalms chapter 23. And I'll start at the fourth verse. Psalms chapter 23. Starting at the fourth verse. If you're there, let the church say amen. amen. If you're not there, say wait on me. The book of Psalms, chapter 23, is written by King David. David is Israel's king whom God selected. David was a shepherd. He is now a king. And David is also a singer, a songwriter. He writes poetry and plays the harp. David is also a warrior. He knows how to fight and he knows what to fight for. But in this Psalms, what we're going to try to extract together is the humility of David to understand what he had placed himself under. Psalms 23, verse 4 reads as such, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. Before David can write this, he starts us in verse 1, and verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. Then he transitions and says what? I shall not want. Notice that in the first verse, David uses a possessive pronoun, my he could have easily have written, brothers and sisters, 
The Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd of Israel. The Lord is a good shepherd, but he takes possession of the word when he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm asking a question, who is your shepherd? If you look in the Hebraic thought, a shepherd was one that tended to someone and fed them. Some of us in the room can easily write, the world is my shepherd. Some of us may write, my husband is my shepherd, or my wife is my shepherd, or my children and my emotions are the ones that are tending to me and guiding me. But a king says, the Lord is my shepherd. When you see all capital word letters, uh, L-O-R-D is speaking of Yahweh, our Jehovah Lord. Hey, honey. Uh, Jehovah God, it says that the Lord, the one that created the earth is my shepherd. Why is this important to the church? It's because in ancient Egypt or in ancient times, the king was known as the shepherd. Somebody say why? Because the king was the one that they thought fed them. It was the one that protected them and he was the one that guided them. But one of the greatest kings that was ever born, David, pushes the reader's attention to understanding that although I may be a king, it is the Lord who shepherds me. It's amazing that when you speak to the majority of Christians nowadays, they sound like the world. We dress like the world. We worry like the world. Our provisions come from the world. The comfortability of our life is connected to the source of the world. But David, one that has had much things in his life, pins in this sacred text, God is my shepherd. Can you imagine the amazement of the reader that understands that God wants to have an intimate relationship with me and call me his own? We have gotten to a place where we're looking around rather than looking in. Yes, God is the God of the earth, but he is also the same God that died for me. Everybody say, this ain't about you. It's about me. That sounds selfish to many of us because we've learned to serve others but you don't even know how to pray for yourself. You've learned how to point at other people's sin, but you've been sitting with some things, as my brother said, that you won't let God rattle out of you. You learn to look at CNN and learn to look at Fox News and learn to gossip on your social media outlets, but God says you will be judged alone. Just in case you didn't know, your mama and your daddy won't be standing there with you. Your husband won't be standing there with you. Eventually, when your life is over, the Lord is going to ask the question, did I shepherd you? I don't care about your job. I don't care about your 401k. Did I shepherd you? David says at the beginning of this text, the Lord is the one that tends to me. He's the one that's for me. He's the one that guides me. He's the one that feeds me. He's all that I need. The Lord is, possessive pronoun, my shepherd. First question you need to ask yourself, is God my shepherd? When I find myself with tears in my eyes, who do I run to? Is the Lord 
my shepherd. But then he transitions the text and he says, what, church? I shall not want. Let's do some work right here. In other words, there's many things that I've had. But the most valuable thing that I have is the shepherd. You just missed that. There's many things that you have in your house. There's many things that you desire in your future. But are you neglecting the fact that the good shepherd is over you? It should have made you shout, but, but you're still daydreaming about vacation. You're still thinking, I can't wait till certain things are over. But the Lord of heaven, the one that put the stars in the sky and tells the ocean where to stop and put breath in your lungs is your shepherd. And he's saying, do you know that you are underneath my care? Maybe, brothers and sisters, we've gotten too comfortable with what that almighty dollar can buy. But there's some things. That can only come from the hands of a shepherd. So he says, I shall not want. Want in the Hebraic, uh, the Hebraic text means a want is something that I'm not wanting for anything that is detrimental to my success. You missed that. So when he said, I have everything, it was not about his possessions. It was about getting through that moment. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. At this moment, I have everything that I need. Oh my goodness, I'm happy already. At this moment, ain't none of us in here hungry. At this moment, all of us got to praise that I'm out. I'm not worried about next Sunday because at this moment, I shall not want. So when I'm underneath the shepherd's care, I understand that one, he's my shepherd, but he meets the need of the moment. You should have shouted right there. You got to run. That I may not have the car I want. I may not live where I want to live. I may not even work where I want to work, but I understand at this very moment, it's all good. We have become arrogant because you're thinking about seconds later when each second is not promised to you. So you're thinking about after church, but this may be your last sermon. So David, I told you, was a warrior. Warriors know that just because I won yesterday's battle don't mean I'm going to get through this battle. So I'm just going to give God a shout right here and say, the Lord is my shepherd. And at this moment, that's not one single thing that I'm in need of. Let me make it personal. One of my, one of my patients, I walked in her room and she said, chap. I've been thinking. Now, when your patients who are in rooms all day by themselves is thinking, it can go either way. So she said, I've been thinking. They cleaned my room this morning. They bring me three meals a day. I have cable television. I got hot showers. Yes, I have cancer, but I'm not in need of anything. I had to write my notes right there. I said, hold on now. Keep talking to me. She said, listen, I'm sick, but God has made me well. Okay, I'm sick. That's the current evidence. 
but I shall not want because he's right here with me. And he's made sure I'm eating, I'm getting the proper care that I'm getting. Let me make it personal. You sick of where you are in your life, but currently God is sitting next to your old ungrateful self telling you you have every single thing you need, so much so you throwing food away, but you're looking at how he's dealing with other people, not giving them a praise about how he's treating you. Y'all going to make me work harder than I want to. You're looking at the Ukraine, but you good. You was looking at the COVID numbers, but he's taking care of you. I'm not telling you to be selfish. That's not the state of the Christian. What I'm telling you is when you're just alone, God's going to ask you, how did I treat you? Because some that's dying died in Christ, so they good. Some of them Ukraine's over there praying, so they're good. But you're talking about the world is a bad place, but he's blessed you. Let me get down your row. You and your wife have an argument. You and your spouse have an argument. Or you and somebody in your family have an argument. And you say, what are you mad at? And they say, I'm mad because the neighbor's husband treating her wrong. I don't want to be with you because the people down the street hungry. You will look at your spouse and your kids and let me get this straight. You don't want to love me because you're viewing a situation that you ain't in. We're asking God and telling God that the world is coming to an end, but he's keeping you. You have to get to a place like a sheep and put the blinders on and say, the Lord is my shepherd, personal pronoun, possessive pronoun. I'm not in need of anything. I got to get selfish with my relationship with God because he's trying to stir a church up and say, can you tell your neighbor that he's doing it for you? Why, Albert? Because your testimony, if God is not a respecter of persons, if he's doing it for you, guess what? That means that he'll do it for me. But if you're complaining, if you're worrying, what's your testimony? He's my shepherd. At this current moment, I don't need nothing. I'm not thinking moment to moment. I mean, I'm not thinking day to day. I'm thinking what? Moment to moment. So the first thing you have to understand is he's my shepherd. The second thing that we have to understand what? Is I'm not in need of anything when. Jesus says, give us today our what? But you bought a freezer. That lets me know we're not understanding the shepherd's care. Lord, show me who I can give food to so I don't waste nothing in my house. Lord, I got a little extra money this week. I wonder if somebody in the church needed at this moment. I just want, I don't want to waste anything, God. I got too many clothes that somebody needed at this moment. Because we're asking heaven a question that he's repeating to us. Lord, why are there so many poor people? Great question, church. Church, why are there so many poor people? You got overflow. Lord, why are there orphans? I don't know. You got four extra rooms and you just made it a workout room. I put you in a place to change the world, and you're asking me to do what I've empowered you in this moment to change somebody's life because you don't want for nothing. 
I'm going to move on. But I met this patient. I wasn't even going to share this. But she had told me she had had a hard life. I mean, she went through seeing murder, drugs, homelessness, all kinds of things. And I hear the Lord say, give her your Bible. Now, anyone that knows me, I'm a Bible collector. I love Bibles. I love the fill of Bibles. I love the print of Bibles. I mean, I will invest hundreds of dollars into a Bible. My wife laughs, so he's like the book of Eli in our house, right? We just got Bibles everywhere. And uh, I say, oh, I'll bring her a Bible. So I thought in my mind, the Lord said, no, I said, give her your Bible. Because you're not in need of one. So I write her name in the Bible while she's talking to me. She just think I'm taking notes, and I put my name in it. And I say, uh, she said, can you pray for me? I say, absolutely. I, I said, but first I want to gift you something. And she said, are you serious? I said, yes, I want to gift you this Bible. She puts it on her heart and says, I'll cherish this for the rest of my life. I left the room and the Lord said, you so spoiled. You think that kindness is normal. There's people that we walk by daily that they haven't felt kindness in years. Santa Claus ain't stopped by their Christmas tree. It's empty. Their refrigerator doesn't have overflow. It's just barely enough. What if the church understood what the next verse teaches us? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And it was our focus to go get other sheep that don't know that to get them to those pastures. Lord, don't allow me to pass anybody that needs you today. The Lord is my shepherd. I have, I shall not want, in other words, I have everything that I need in this moment. He makes me to lie down, where? In green pastures. Now, the significance of the green pasture is, is that this is my source of nutrients. So first I ask you to ask the question, who is your shepherd? The next thing I'm asking you is, what have you been eating? We normally can tell what you've been eating based on what comes out of you. When you eat anxiety, that's what comes out of you. When you continue to eat negativity, that's what comes out of you. I tell every individual, before you tell me what the world say, tell me what the words say about what the world said. I slow it down. Before you tell somebody what you heard the world say, tell them what the word said before the world said it. And I want you to see truth rather than opinion. For example, they said the world is going crazy because Russia is at war with the Ukraine. As soon as that foolishness came to me, I went to the book of Matthew and showed the person that was talking to me. It said there'd be wars and rumors of wars. 
I've already been warned. Next conversation. Jesus told me this would happen, but then he said, that ain't even the end time. Then he goes into another point. I'm, I'm not telling you where it's at so you find it yourself so you can see if I'm lying. And he says, then he says, that, that ain't even the end time. This too has to happen, and then this is the end time, right? So in other words, you're worried about something you should have already knew. I'm not a worried because I already have been told by the green pasture, this is my nourishment. Every patient that I meet that says, the doctor said, I'm going to die, I tell them the word already told us that. But did the doctor tell you, you can live? So I'm not afraid of what the world says because I know what the word says because that's what's feeding me. Your friends and your family, oh, your friends and your family can lead you in ways that are contrary to the word of God. Ask me how. Because you'll never trust or you'll never Trust the voice that's next, that's next to you. That's not next to you. So in other words, Satan will only use a voice that you trust. If Satan wants to talk to me, he's not going to use you. He'll speak to her. Because I'll stop because I trust her voice. The snake didn't deceive Adam. The voice he trusted because God gave it to me is who I listen to. Satan is not going to use anyone in your life that you don't trust. Most deceptions come from pulpits. That's why the apostles said what? You have to try the spirit by the spirit. That I'm not above you correcting me to say, hold on, pastor, you said something. That's not from the word. Are y'all hearing me? Your spouse can say something and you say, hold on, no, no, wait, 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 wait. That's not from the word. There's three portions of word I feel the Lord needs me to teach you. The first one is graphe. That's the written word. The next one is rhema. That's the word you say, I just heard the Lord say. But the next one is logos. That's the word became flesh, John 1.14. So it, when anyone speaks to you, you should check the three levels of the word. What is written? What is he saying? And what was manifested? So if I ever want to know the word, I can look at Jesus, I can look at the text, and then I can pray. So before I respond or receive, I have to see that the three-strand cord is not easily broken. Because I'm, I'm measuring it up by what? The green pasture of the word. So now David says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. Then he says, what I want for nothing, when? Right now. Then he says, what? He makes me to lie down. That means rest where? In a green pasture, which is what? His word. Glory be to God. Then he takes us to the next portion of the text. He leads me where? Beside the still waters. You know your Bible, brother. You know that word. Now, let's teach about this still water. Every sheep has wool on them. Wool, in the Hebrew thought, is like your flesh. That's why the shepherd would cut it off and then expose the sheep. But if a sheep that has his wool on them is drinking out of fast-moving waters, 
the water would weigh the sheep down and drown them or carry them away. Anxiety is normally the evidence of the pressure and fast-moving thought of the world weighing your flesh down. When you have anxiety and worry and pain and fear, it's the evidence that you're not by quiet water. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need right now. He feeds me, but then also when he nourishes me with water, I'm still. When was the last time you was quiet? Some of us talk too much. Soon as Will slapped Chris, you was talking. You start texting, you start watching, you start laughing, you start having an opinion about what God should be covering. Sometimes the greatest answer is your silence. I have nothing to say. Why? Because that's not my pasture. The Lord, he didn't slap me. So I ain't got nothing to say about it. He didn't touch my wife. That's between God, Chris, and Will. We, just because you have access don't mean you have pr uh, permission to respond. It's making the church a busybody. You're always talking about what's going on in everybody else's situation but yours. But God saved the church to reflect on itself and say, God, my soul needs to be right with you. Y'all stop shouting. And so now he, I'm beside these still waters and he pushes me into my, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. There was a man that was a business owner in the 1800s. And he was a lawyer. His business got burned down. And around this same time, his son got a fever and died. Now I have a dead son. I have a business that's burned. He had four daughters and a wife, and he says, you know, it would be a good idea while I'm tending to our business, honey, for y'all to go on a vacation. So y'all go to Europe, and I'll meet you there after I handle this business. They get on that ship, and on the way there, the ship collides with another ship. His four daughters die, but his wife survives and sends a telegram that says, saved alone, what shall I do? Now this man is dealing with the death of his four children about an idea that he had. Four daughters, one son, so five children collectively. His wife is all alone across the pond. He gets there, they have more children. and They have three, but one of those died. And in between that death and that fire, the man pins these words, when peace, like a river, attended my way, when sorrows like sea billow roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
He did not write that hymn because he was a songwriter. He wrote that hymn and it was birthed out of his grief. That he understood that he did not say, I am well. He said, it is well. What are you saying, preachers? Some of us in this room are going through hell right now. I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's all good. I'm going to tell you that it is not well around you, but inside of you there should be a green pasture. There should be some still waters because you understand that I'm underneath my shepherd's care. Notice he did not say he always knew this. He said, you have taught me. Five children dead. Business lost. I can only imagine the fear in his wife and the, and the turmoil in his mind. But he said, no matter my lot, I, you have taught me, Lord, to say that it's well. It is well with my soul. But the unfortunate reality is someone in this building, it's well in your bank account. It's a well in your family. It's a well at your job. But you have no peace because it's not well with your soul. I know you ain't heard this in a while, but some of us in this room going to hell. Because you're going to shout your troubles over. You're going to have all the right Christian perspectives. But you're going to stand before a righteous ruler. He's going to say, depart from me, thou worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. You wanted the blessings from me. You wanted to say you was blessed and highly favored, but I never had your soul. Look in that book, angel. Is their name written? No, sir, so depart from me. Why? Because it's not well with your soul. In God's providence, that theological word is him knowing before I knew. In his providence, he says to this writer, can I teach you something? He says to David, can I teach you something? Notice that David does not say that he'll restore the kingdom. He does not say that he'll restore America to his former glory. It does not say that it'll restore a broken marriage. But it does tell you he'll restore your soul. Christ died for my soul. One of my sweet patients that I've known over six, seven months now, I went into her room and she's a new believer. She said, chap, before I had cancer, I was so concerned with my beauty, my money, my children's future. So I worked out. I ate right. I did all the things that I felt was right. But inside of me, there was so much anxiety and worry and insecurity. Both men and women, we are in here with our made-up face and our Sunday's best. But I guarantee you there's something in your soul that needs to be extracted. And she said, I was there in the best shape of my life financially. The bills were paid and my child was doing good and I was strong and my husband was strong, but my soul was hurting. 
She said, but now, chap, I'm the sickest I've ever been. And you told me, chaplain, that God did not will this for me, but he'll use it for his glory. I said, yeah, I said that. She said, can I tell you how he used it? I said, yes, please. She said, I'm the sickest I've ever been. The hair that I used to have that was in the middle of my back is gone. My strength at times is gone. My money at times looks like it's going to be gone. I can't work the job that I work so hard in. But I can say that my soul's right. Can you say that? Can you say without a shadow of a doubt? No matter my lot, it is well. If I don't get another promotion, it is well. If I lose the house before I pay it off, it is well. If I have to, like this man, bury a family that I birthed, it is well. I'm not well, but God in your providence, I believe it is well. This writer brings us into personal things of his life, showing us that my soul has been broken. David was accused for doing the right thing by Saul. Some theologians say that David didn't have a great relationship with his family. David was on the run when his son was trying to kill him. David knew how it felt to be hungry. David knew how it felt to be rich. But out of all that he had lost and gained, one thing that remained was the strength of his soul. I have nothing to promise those who I preach to now. But resurrection power, Holy Ghost anointing, and a shepherd that when you get underneath his care, he'll lead you, he'll guide you, he'll strengthen you. And he's preserving us for his coming. But when he comes here, will it be well with your soul? So this king moves us from the restoration of his soul and said, he leads me in the path. Of righteousness. But why, David? For his name's sake. Those two need to be together. David says, first of all, if a shepherd is leading me, it needs to be in righteousness. If you have a group of people in your life that have you doing sinful things, they're not your shepherd. Because what David cared for is not it's the evidence what I have. It's where I'm being leaded into righteousness. But why does he do it, church? For his name's sake. In other words, when people look at you, they say they belong to Jesus. I'm doing all of this not for you to be boastful and proud. I want the world to look at this church and say, oh, my God. There's something different about them. The reason you don't fit in with the sinner is because you're no longer one. Or are you? 
Either you're going to come underneath the shepherd's care or I'm going to make you uncomfortable because my commitment is not to our friendship. My commitment is to the one who calls me friend, the one who died for me that covered me when I was still a fool. So David says he's leading me down the paths that's continuous of righteousness for his name's sake. And then we get to the text that we walked together in at the beginning. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's going to happen? I will fear no evil. Let's pause for reflection. So David is saying, first of all, I don't stop in valleys. I go through them. Did y'all just hear what I said? When you look at the Hebraic thought, a valley was a narrow place. So when you entered into it, there was no turning back. So a shepherd would lead them into the valley, and it would be dark. Some translation says, yea, though I walk through the darkest of valleys. Meaning there's some things that you walk in that I can't even see myself out of. Some trouble, you say, when I get to the other side of this, it's going to be great. But then there's other trouble. You say, I can't even see myself on the other side of this. What do you do? You have to reflect on the shepherd. You have to reflect that he's going to meet your need. You have to reflect on the green pasture when it's not in front. You have to reflect on the still waters. And you have to reflect that he's going to restore my soul. And in the midst of my darkness, I shall remain righteous. I dare not turn my back on a shepherd that has been so good to me. Well, what are you going through now? It doesn't matter. He's been good to me. One of our friends in Houston, husband, three years ago, fell off a ladder, and he's been fighting for his life for three years. And she called me. They've been married for, I think, 43 years now. And she says, Carl, they told me to just let him die. 43 years, I'm just supposed to let go. She says, my husband, no matter the state he's in, is worth fighting for. What's fueling her and her hope is 43 years of green pastures. And she would not abort the covenant because of a diagnosis and the world's opinion. In three years, the doctors have seen miracle after miracle. Everything they say won't happen is happening in his life. It's happening slowly, but it's because a wife said, I won't give up. It's hard for the entire family, but I believe God is telling me to keep a hold of my faith. Out of all the hell Jesus went through, he remained righteous. That was the evidence that he was underneath the shepherd's care. So this valley is narrow. I can't even see the light, but in the midst of the valley, if you study valleys, they were filled with nutrients because water flowed down there. There was grass there, which brings me to this point. Just because I don't see it does not mean that it's not here. 
Just because I don't see it with my natural eyes does not mean that my shepherd, when necessary, will tend to me. So the sheep would have to follow blindly in this straight line going through these valleys, twists and turns, noises that they're unfamiliar, but the shepherd would keep his sound consistent. Because unknown to the sheep, most shepherds would take their sheep through valleys to get them to mountaintops. So he understood that you think you are turning and twisting in a straight line. But as you're turning and twisting, you're moving up a mountain. And when they would come to the peak of the mountain, baby, there was a pasture. Glory be to God. There was restoration there. So I was afraid for a moment. And rather I open my eyes in the green pasture of life or the green pasture in the new heaven, I'm going to open my eyes with the Savior. So he says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So you know that you're underneath the shepherd's care. You know that you're not in need of nothing right now. You know the green pasture is the word of God feeding there, feeding you. You know the still waters is to make sure I don't get swept away. You know that he'll restore your soul. You know that it's for righteousness and his name's sake. And we know that I'm in a valley right now. But do you know that he's with you? I don't hear you sometimes, God, but I know you're with me. I don't understand my life sometimes, but I know you're with me. I know I'm broke, but I know you're with me. David is saying when you're in your darkest valley, the only comfort is he's with me. He's with me. He then says this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So watch this. A rod was for the predator. But the staff was for your guidance. So the shepherd would make sure he protected you, but he also guided you. Because sheep, when they are afraid, don't make a noise. So the shepherd has to attend to your silent cry. Is there anybody in here that has a silent cry? My family don't even know what I'm going through. My wife or my husband, my tr- they don't even know what I'm going through. I got a silent cry. Because the shepherd is listening and he's watching. If you go down to verse 6, when you get home, it says, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. And then he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, David was trying to let you know that when you're in a valley, there's a shepherd in front of you, but there's also a shepherd behind you. So the sheep were protected in both directions. Christ, the good shepherd, came to lead me through my valley. But the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, came to walk beside me. I'll one day see Jesus face to face. I one day will hear that blessed sound, servant, well done. But until then, 
the good shepherd has left this comforter to grab my hand in my deepest, hardest moments. To say, I'm the good shepherd, get under my care. To say that you shall want for nothing. To say these green pastures are available. To teach you what this hymn writer wrote, it is well, it is well with my soul. I may never have as much money as that person. I may never have the relationship they have. But what I do have is a certainty that my soul is right. My soul is what I pay attention to. My son, and I'm done, my middle son, well, both of them re really, but I'm going to share my middle son, Adam. We were driving to school the other day, and he said, Daddy, today I'm going to get saved. Now, I'm very serious about salvation because we birthed too many so-called Christians that's fickle. So I say, well, what are you saved from? He said, Dad, I'm be saved from hell. But who saves you? He said, Jesus. I say, son, you don't have to wait till you get to school. If you want to be saved, you can be saved right now. He goes to school, he comes back and he shares with his mom, I got saved today. And she says, baby, if you're saved, there's going to be some behavior modifications that need to take place. You just can't say you're saved, but don't want to live righteously. Do you understand? He said, yes, ma'am, I understand. Yesterday, they were somewhere, and my son, Adam, he has this thing where he stumps off when he gets real mad. Those are fit. My wife said, I just knew he was about to get mad and stumped off. But when I told him what he said, he almost did it, but something arrested him. Well, he snapped to and didn't do what he would have used to done in his old nature. The evidence of my salvation is not only my profession. It's the behavior modification that when I want to do what I want to do, that shepherd that walks on side of me, that paraclete says, don't look at that. Don't watch that. Don't say that. Don't talk like that. Don't act like that. It's well with your soul. You already know your life is going to end and the world is going to end. But there's a blessed hope in Jesus Christ, the one who saved you, to put me in your ear to stay focused on righteousness. I want us to do something before I leave is I want us to pray together. Now, I normally call people to the altar. I won't tell you that I won't pray with you, but what I want to do first is I want you to understand the power that's sitting next to you. If you only can hear God from my mouth, you don't understand the relationship he wants to have with you. Because if I'm not there your computer not working. Can you say, Lord, speak to me? The power of the church in the book of Acts was we didn't run from each other. We ran to each other. Our strength 
has been attacked by COVID because now we're afraid to fellowship. Well, there's something that happens when the church is in unity. So I want us to pray. This is what I want you to do. I want you to find a group of people that you're comfortable with. And I want you to pray for each other first. Might just have a prayer leader. All of y'all may pray. Don't try to be a poet or a preacher. Just be sincere. Sometimes the greatest prayer is your silence. To say, Lord, I don't know what to say. But just lead me. Our families have to become a place of prayer again. Of love again. We have to stop just preaching and start to be sincere. I believe in the power of God's church. I believe in living underneath the shepherd's care. And I believe in the power of prayer. Sometimes prayer, well, another time, prayer never changes God. It changes you. We don't change God's mind by begging. We pray, Lord, that my prayer will change me, that I can see your will clearly. And whatever the light, it is well. So find somebody to pray. We're going to pray about one minute, and then I'm going to pray for us. And as I said, I know some of you may want me to pray for you, which is fine, but let us pray for one another first, okay? So stand, find somebody, move across the aisles and pray.
Lord, your word declares this shall be a house of prayer. We come to you because you are the truth, the life. You said you're bread of heaven. You called yourself the shepherd, a father, a friend. And in different portions of our life, we need all of you. We stand together in prayer and unity, Lord, that you will not only hear these prayers, but you'll respond to them. Let your children know that you hear us. Let us have the surely in our life that you are with us. It is hard sometimes, God. We feel unworthy, insecure, and lonely, but Lord, we need to know no matter the light is well with my soul. Teach us, God, through your loving kindness to feel you when we can't see you. I pray now, Lord, for all those who are watching online that you allow them to know that you are in love with them. So much so you died for them. that relationship with us, Lord, but there's so much fighting for our attention. Help us remove the distractions of this world and become thirsty for your word. Whether it's spoken or read or experienced, we want to have your word. That our friends and our family may behold us and say they're under the shepherd's care. Not just because of our finances, not just because of our degrees and our position, but our response to chaos. I pray, Lord, for every marriage in this house. Please keep it. You gave marriage to be a reflection of your relationship with the church, Lord, and I pray that their household sees that reflection. Now, I pray, Lord, for those who desire to be married, let them have the patience and peace to wait for the one that you see in. And I pray, Lord, for those who are righteously single, that you give them the strength to continue to serve your kingdom. You give them the strength to know that one day the bridegroom shall come to rescue his bride. What condition will you find us in? I pray, Lord, that it's pleasing to your sight. Now, finally, Lord, we lift up the leadership of this house. Keep him, oh God. Him and his wife and family. That they may know that their labor is not in vain. Blessed are the feet of those who carry the gospel. I pray for my family that I am an under-shepherd worth following. That with arrogance or pride is in my heart, remove it and continue to teach me how to love my wife, that we may raise our family in a way that's pleasing to you, that will produce godliness out of our children. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. And until we meet again, 
let us all know that we're under the shepherd's care. We pray this prayer in faith in the name of Christ Jesus, our conquering king, the good shepherd. Amen. Alamo City, it's always a privilege and pleasure to stand here and speak to you all. I love you. I look forward to the next opportunity that we can share the word of God. God bless you. We'll see you soon.